Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Baer's Moving Markets podcast. It is Thursday, the 30th of March, and my name is Mike Rauber. In today's show, Nicholas Jordan from the CIO office will brief us on what the investment committee discussed this week. And while usually on Friday, we are pleased to have for once Tim Gege from our FX desk in Geneva with us on this Thursday. But first, as always, on what's moving markets. And for that, I welcome Jonti Waris today. Good morning, Jonti. Good morning, Mike. Hi there. Anything you would like to highlight on market action yesterday? Sure. Well, global stocks advanced yesterday in what proved to be relatively uneventful trading, as traders' risk appetite steadily continued to recover following the recent turmoil in the banking sector. Over in the US, the S&P 500 powered back above the 4,000 mark, buoyed by a continuing rebound in tech and financial stocks. The Nasdaq 100 added to its best quarter since 2020, as Micron Technology rallied after issuing a strong outlook for the second quarter. This comes as the VIX index, a measure of volatility, closed as its lowest level in three weeks with a close of 1931. US Treasuries and the US dollar strengthened initially, but lost most of their gains and closed the session little changed, with US Treasuries in particular confined to largely range-bound trading. West Texas Intermediate steadied while gold finished lower, as investors digested the latest remarks by Fed officials and now turn their focus to tomorrow's core PC deflator data, the US Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation, for the latest clues on how the Fed's path for interest rates might change. The US dollar was up 0.2%, showing quite some strength versus the yen, though not doing too much versus the euro and sterling. And we'll hear more on currencies shortly from Tim Gege later in the show. And Chanti, uh, any news out of Asia? Well, over in Asia, markets have had a mixed start today, with Hong Kong further extending its gains made yesterday. The Aussie ASX is also extending its rebound into a fourth straight session and is up over 1%, while the Nikkei has fallen back from some of its earlier highs, trading at around 1% down. The Korean Kospi was also in the green when I last checked a few moments ago. In Asian news, Alibaba CEO Daniel Tsang has hinted that he will consider gradually giving up control of some of the group's main businesses, valued at a collective $250 billion, after completing a major overhaul to create six new companies that look set to debut on the public market. In time, each business group will be able to pursue independent financing, spin-offs and an IPO at their own pace in an effort to make the business more agile. Tsang wouldn't specify a timeline or too many other details, stating that management is in the process of evaluating market conditions. And over in Europe, uh, the Bank of England is also in the news, I hear. Perhaps you can fill us in. That's right. The Bank of England has warned that the wider financial system in the UK, including pension funds and hedge funds, urgently needs to be made more resilient. While it's confident that the country's banks can handle the current turmoil in financial markets, it's said that riskier types of company borrowing are particularly vulnerable to rising interest rates. And given the events over the last few weeks, there are real anxieties that there are other vulnerabilities that might also unravel related to its lending. And with the roundup uh, on what has been happening in markets and the news, uh, what can we expect for the day ahead? Yeah, in terms of data later today, we can expect Eurozone economic confidence and consumer confidence data out, along with US GDP and initial jobless claims. Corporate earnings throughout later today include fashion retailer H&M and Manchester United. And central banks due to meet today to announce their next policy rates include the Bank of Mexico, 
and the South African Reserve Bank. And that's all from me on the Markets Wrap. Thanks a lot, Chonti, for joining us today. And now I welcome Nicholas Jordan from the CIO office. Good morning, Nicola. Good morning, Mike. There has been plenty going on in recent weeks, uh, needless to say. So what is the investment committee's view on the recent developments? Well, upon the, the difficulties of the Silicon Valley Bank, we have been pretty certain in ruling out the possibility of a US recession, mostly due to the health of the private sector for both households and businesses. So until then, we had not detected any signs of systemic risks in the market. And also at first glance, SVB's problems seem to be very specific to its particular business model. However, it's becoming more and more clear that the relaxation of the banking regulations approved by the Trump administration in 2018 had allowed small and mid-sized US regional banks to grow their low volumes much faster due to much looser regulation. As a consequence, these particular banks have contributed to most of the growth in commercial real estate lending since then, a sector which has been under severe pressure due to the public's shift from in-store to online shopping and lower office occupancy rates due to the pandemic. At the same time, financing for small and medium-sized enterprises, which contribute a significant portion to US GDP, will also become more expensive which is likely to lead to a noticeable slowdown in U.S. activity. And why is there such a relevant development for global financial markets? What's the take there? Well, that means that while the SVB case definitely had a lot of idiosyncratic issues, it effectively contaminated the U.S. regional banking sector, which in the end also led to the downfall of the weakest link in Europe, Credit Suisse. And the market movements that followed the Credit Suisse takeover now reflect the risk that the turmoil on the banking sector could in the end be systemic. And an unaddressed systemic problem can quickly translate into a recession in the real economy, especially at a time when the financial system has grown to record size relative to the real economy. So I see one could probably say that the view has turned more cautious, but does this mean any changes to the asset allocation? Well, just to be clear first, I mean, the developments that I described before definitely increase the probability of a recession in the US, but this does not mean that this is our base case scenario. Having said that, we do act on these increased risks by gradually adjusting our bond allocations. We are reducing US high yield bonds and our diversified basket of unconstrained bond strategies in favor of investment grade corporate bonds and US treasuries. We believe that with the record increase in interest rates since the beginning of last year, attractive returns are available without taking on too much credit risk. Thank you very much uh, for this very timely update, Nicola. And now I'm pleased to welcome Tim Gege, our head at the FX desk in Geneva. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Mike. So what's been going on this week in FX? I'm sorry to say it's not been a hugely interesting week for us, really. Since the weekend managed to pass without any further dramatic banking sector issues, fear seems to have drained out of the market, but it hasn't yet been replaced with full-on risk appetite. So rather as we feared, everybody went back to sleep. Eurodollar has drifted around a little above 108, cable around 123, and it's all not very exciting. And what about other currencies? Any have had a good week? A couple. Oil's gentle rebound that we heard about has been good news for commodity currencies, which had not at all participated in the recent good performance or recent dollar weakness, if you like. The Canadian dollar 
managed to break below 136 against the US dollar. Still rather on the cheap side, we find, but it is encouraging. While the Aussie dollar and the Norwegian krona both strengthened, although they both have a long way to go. These are all currencies we like to be long, either directly or via reverse convertible, accumulator, TARF, whatever most suits you. But we think having some exposure to these really could make sense for the next three, six months. And now shifting a gear a little, anything to report on when it comes to precious metal? Well, gold did have another look at that famous 2000 level um, last week, rather. But that was as far as it went. And once again, we are back to kind of 1960, 1970 sort of levels. I am really skeptical, as I've said before, about gold moving above the levels that we saw at the start of COVID and when Russia first invaded the Ukraine. That is to say, 2017. I know I keep saying this, but I do stand by the idea that while one should never be short gold or indeed any metal, it's too dangerous, I really would rather be taking profits here if one is lucky enough to be long, and I know plenty of people are. At best, I think we go sideways, and there is a scenario where a combination of better risk appetite, perhaps central banks, yes, fine, backing away from further tightening, but perhaps not going full on easing, is one where gold could really pull back. And I think we would definitely have some remorse and regret in not having acted above this sort of 1950, 1970 level. So, but uh, as I can hear from uh, your tone, not much going on this week. Uh, so maybe something everybody's waiting for? Yeah, lacking a bit of enthusiasm, I suppose. But this is the biggest problem we have. People always seem to be waiting. We wait for the Fed. Then we wait for data to understand the Fed. We wait for the ECB. Then we wait for data to understand the ECB. We wait for the Bank of England. Well, you get the picture. The point is, you can wait yourself to death. So when there is volatility, like we saw in the last couple of weeks, up until, uh, I would say, about a week ago, when there is movement, things get interesting. You've really got to jump on it. It never lasts. Tomorrow we have EU CPI, UK GDP, Canadian GDP, US PMIs, US University of Michigan Confidence. All sounds good, but, you know, will any of these data points really show us the way, really tell us something fundamentally new and exciting about what the Fed or the Bank of England or the ECB are going to do next? I'm not so sure. So right here, okay, fair enough. I would not do all that much. What I do know is if, for example, in euro dollar, you get near to 110 or you get near to 106, there will definitely be things to do. You have to be ready to act because there will not be, I don't believe, one big moment this year. We had that last year. It's not happening this year, I don't think. Just lots of little ones. And if you take lots of little moments and you get them right, mathematically, at the end of the year, it comes to the same as riding one big trend all the way. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Mike, cheers for the chat. And I wish you all a good rest of the week. Super interesting. Thanks a lot, Tim, as always. This also concludes today's show. So please tune in for our show tomorrow again on What is Moving Markets. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Business Leaders is a monthly podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs across the globe. We delve into the details of how they started their careers, their journeys in building businesses, and hear about some of the challenges that they faced along the way. Search for Business Leaders on your favorite podcast player.